We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Monday, August 7th. And you know what we do on Mondays? We bring in James McCool. Mondays with McCool, the co author with me, the theory of daily fantasy sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com as well as the advanced player's guide with the custom Excel tools. James, you're getting ready for, for a live final next week, right? I am getting ready for a live final next week. Um, and I've been training myself to play in a different way over the last couple of weeks, and it has been annoying. <laughs> so when is it next week? Is it next Wednesday? No, next Saturday. Next so Saturday. Okay, it's on the week. I thought it was like 16th, 17th. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, 18th through 21st. Okay. So uh so yeah, so you won't you won't bid so two weeks from now you won't you you won't be able to make 
the morning show for Mondays with McCool. We'll we'll miss you then. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we're talking about about your your win. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we're talking about my my million dollar lineup where I was not contrarian at all and just played very boring, but still end up winning. Well, you said that you're you're you said you're playing different, mm-hmm. and it's annoying. What what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I don't think that it's any surprise or like newsflash that I'm a really contrarian player. A lot of what I have done and a lot of success that I've found in DFS has been in leveraging and mostly direct leveraging um, ownership and chalk and and using game theory to my advantage. So uh, a lot of that comes with a lot of losses, right? Um, I lose like 95, 96, 97% of slates that I play. And when I say I lose, I don't mean that I don't like win it. I mean that I don't cash like a lot. Um and that's but when, when you do cash, you're typically cashing very high. Right. Or yeah. it's close to the top. Right. My my one percent finish rate is about one point three percent. I'm not the best player in the world, but one point three percent is fine. Um but when I finish up there, that's that's my goal is to win a GBP. Um, I finish in the one percentile more often than the average player. And my loss, my, my, like my 99th percentile is really bad because if I'm fading direct leveraging chalk, my lineups are either going to do very well or very terribly based on the contest, right. And based on the field. So while I love that strategy for general play, uh, and I will continue to do that for things like NFL, MLB, I probably will not can, i We'll probably use this new strategy for NBA um, just because I, I have liked the results in terms of finishing position and and stuff like that. Um, First off, I mean, are we talking about small field or large field or is there no field. difference to you? Always small field. When when I'm so I, ha- I hardly ever really play large field anymore. Um, and, and like that's relative to the size of the contest available. Right. So. In MLB, it's pretty unlikely that I play something over a thousand entries, unless it's like, if I feel like burning some money, I'll play like the 777 when it's 100k up top, um, just because like I like that contest. Um, You're mostly playing what the 121, the 250, or... yeah, yeah, 121, the 250. I'll play the 444. I'll play the 555. Um, but mostly, it's going to be things under a thousand entries, and usually under 500 entries if I can manage it. And, and and typically in those contests across all sports, is that the ownership condenses more, right? And that's the reason why I like to play them, uh, is because it's much easier. I mean, in in the fifteen, like in the in the flagship in the large field stuff, you're going to see ownership. It's it's unlikely to ever see ownership surpass something like. Speaking specifically to MLB, you don't typically see pitchers over sixty percent in the flagship. Um, and you don't typically see hitters over about 40% in like the large field stuff. It's pretty rare. Sometimes you'll get it, but it's pretty rare. Whereas in small field, you know, I can think of instances in just the last couple of weeks where, um, Max Scherzer was 84% in the 250. And we had, uh, that chalk cub slate where Dansby Swanson was 50% owned. And even the other day, Gunnar Henderson was 50% owned. Like we have these guys who are super, super chalky and, when you're playing in a contest where where the chalk condenses that heavily, the leverage is amplified just as much of of avoiding those plays. So while while the last couple of weeks has kind of been chalk just punching me in the face, and that's fine. Um, 
usually that's how I end up winning my contests is when that condensed chalk and smaller field contests ends up failing. Say Gunnar Henderson at 50% owned puts up a zero. That's 50% in the field that I have basically an extra player over. Um, so long as my direct leverage to him does not also score zero, right? So that's just kind of the, the way that I prefer to play. When you have these really large field contests, not only is the chalk more spread out, so leverage matters less, but um, you also have to not only dodge that piece of like really condensed shock, and usually there are multiple pieces of it, but not only do you have to dodge and avoid the really popular plays, but you also have to land on the niche and like contrarian plays. And there are so many more that you can choose from that it just makes it harder. So the the combination of of having that condensed chalk and the, the condensed ownership on smaller fields, as well as not needing the absolute nuts to win the smaller fields, I think is really conducive to the way that I play. Right. So like like the the, the problem in in if people view this the opposite way you're taking you take advantage you exploit the field the opposite way of what people think they should be doing so in large field contests right but like you said there's a there's a push and pull it isn't like one or the other because yeah. in large field contests the ownership isn't as condensed now there still will be over-owned players and under-owned players mm-hmm. but it won't get to the point where, where, like more than half the field is on something, right? It's more likely that there's. Whoever we always talk about, where does the money come from? Mm-hmm. There's a good twenty twenty five percent of lineups that are bleeding equity all over the place. Maybe ten percent are bleeding it like ridiculously so. That you know the. The forty-two percent owned pitcher that projects the best by far. Maybe he should be fifty percent owned yeah. in in the large maybe like maybe he's actually under owned. Maybe not enough people are playing the best projected players. NBA, you see this all the time because it's a more normally distributed sport. That you know that eighty-two percent owned whatever the hell should be ninety-five percent owned in large field. He'll be ninety-five percent in small field. Yeah not in large field. So you can get away with that. But the caveat being that because you're competing against 40,000, 50,000 entries that in MLB, when, when the the chalk fails is like, that's, that's good for you. But some sixth hitter, 3% owned sixth hitter, it's two home runs. You're probably going to need them also. Mm -hmm. Like you need to do both at the same time because there's so just so many people so many different combinations of lineups against you. And then in small field, since it's so condensed, it's like, dude, that 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 3% owned guy is only like 0.7% owned. He's only really in three lineups. So it's like if the chalk fails, like the, you'll see, you'll see over and over again that uh, some guy hits, in, in baseball, you'll see some guy hit three home runs. Or you'll see a pitcher put up, 45 points. I think I saw the Framer Valdez. Yeah. Pitched a no hitter. Yep. Right. 45 points. He was in the winning large field contest lineup. He wasn't even in the win. The, the whoever won the, the, whatever the, the 777 or whatever yeah. the, the, the high stakes small field didn't even have Framer, Framer Valdez. And it's not like Framer Valdez 
was like 2% owned. I mean, he wasn't high owned, but he, he didn't need him because certain pieces of chalk failed and the guy that won had the right stack and that's all you need to do yeah. in, sm- in small field. And there's so much more opportunities to leverage. You talk about direct leverage. I think you go a little too far, mm-hmm. possibly. In in small field, I think that makes more sense in large field because if you're le- – let's say there's a 40% on pitcher in large field. So we're going to use the large field, small field example. If you, fi- if you stack against that pitcher, obviously depending on the size of the slate. I think the bigger the slate is, the less likely I have to do it because mm-hmm. you still need to get the, the top stack of the day. Like, yeah, the pitcher could fail, but it's a stack only with five runs. You're not going to win. Uh, but when 40% of the field has that pitcher, 40% of the field is also like thousands upon thousands of lineups, 20% of which may not have that pitcher and are also bad. All, like, I don't have to worry about those lineups anyway. Now, in small field, let's say he's 65% owned. Like, if you stack against Tim and like and and he does halfway decently, like you're screwed both ways, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not. I'm you stack against Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer puts up 16 points, gives up four runs. Like you you didn't accomplish anything, and you're you're probably behind yeah. other people because your stack didn't do well enough. I'm much more likely in small field. Like when I see like a 70 percent owned SP one. I'd probably play that guy yeah. or possibly play another SB1 type in his play. Like, oh, Scherzer is 60% on, but Nola is 15% on. Like, okay, I could do that. But really, the only teams that I'm considering direct leverage is the SB2 types. When the $7,200 Eduardo Rodriguez is chalk, when Ken Waldenchuk is $6,400, no, 38% owned in small field type of chalk. Like those are, those pitchers are much more likely if they do, if, if they do badly, they do very badly. While the, like the SP one types, it's very rare to see them give up like nine runs for your stack to be well, especially on larger slates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it And so that kind of like leads into the strategy that I'm more using for the live final, which typically when I build out my models, um, like I, I can even take yesterday's slate, for example. All right. So Chris Bassett looked really, really good in like true average and overall and things like that. Right. Uh, I was projected at like 4% out. Um, more people were likely to be using a, a Boston stack. Boston projected as one of the, the more popular stacks yesterday. So in that instance where there's going to be a popular stack and a pitcher that I have that doesn't project terribly, I can use them. That's an instance where I prefer direct leverage. I don't okay, really you just, like... you just don't get in. You just don't get a lot of it, but you still get some. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it comes down to like it, it's way better. The other day when the Cubs were like, no, I, I think I understand what, what I don't mean to interrupt. Is that there's a difference between large field and small field when I when I said what I just said, mm-hmm. like. Playing Bassett at 4% against a 15% owned Boston stack in large field doesn't produce that much leverage because right. only 15% of lineups have you know, the Boston stack. 
You're not necessarily looking for Chris Bassett to put up 30 points. You're looking for Boston to fail as a stack and Bassett to put up for his price if he puts up 16, 18 points. Like, you're you're good. You're good there. You still need other stuff to happen in your lineup, but you're good. The thing is that in small field, what ends up what ends up happening is you don't get four percent Bassett and fifteen percent Boston. You end up getting one percent owned Bassett and twenty eight percent owned right. Boston. So the effects of that make it a little bit more worthwhile. That if you're looking for an SP two type in your lineup on DraftKings, that oh. I'm not playing one of the chalkier stacks and the pitcher against them actually doesn't project all that badly. You get, you get more out of it when it's 1% on pitcher versus 28% on stack. As long as they project well, don't just blindly do this. Uh, then in large field, when it's a 4% on pitcher against a 15% on stack. Right. Exactly. So it what it comes down to from like, we always talk about the difference between mechanical modeling and, and intuitive modeling from an intuitive standpoint, like if you are not on the aggregate 25% on Boston stack anyway, like you need them to fail for you to succeed anyway. So if they're, if the pitcher facing them as an SP2, you know, Chris Bassett, he was like 7,200 or something yesterday. If he projects okay, you need them to fail anyway. If you don't like the pitching options at SP2, it's good. It's good direct leverage to have. Right, you're, you're sitting there trying to determine whether or not you play fifty-eight percent, fifty-eight hundred Osvaldo Bido for four innings. You have, you know, like it's one of those slates where the differences between the six K pitchers isn't all that bad, isn't all that good. Right, exactly. So it just comes down to a situation where the the direct leverage where that I'm going to want to take on is going to be usually in the SP, like with pitchers, uh, against the stack that I'm just not really on. Um, it, it's just an easier form, and it it slots in pretty well. And typically, it's going to be with an SP2. It's not going to be with the SP1. I usually eat SP1 chalk. Like, it, if there's going to be a 60% owned uh, Spencer Strider or something, right? Like Strider tonight, he's he's like $13,000, but he's going to be 50% owned or something. Right. I'll, I'll probably just eat that. I don't mind that. The the issue being, there she is. Hi, baby. Um, the, the issue is with that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. There you go. Okay. I just didn't want listeners to hear my screen. Maybe you you don't want to share your strategy with your own son. No. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I don't mind him being in here when I'm working, but not when I'm on the show. Um, Yeah, so... That, that chalk, I'd just much rather eat the SP1 chalk and then find a way to gain some direct leverage with an SP2. And all of that being said, I don't really feel that I have to, as I'm coming into live final, what I'm trying to do better, because you are right, that it's probably not necessary for me to do that in small field as frequently as I do. And especially when it comes to live final, I definitely don't need to do that, right? And that's a- so that's Is that why you say it's annoying? Well, it's annoying learning a new strategy after I've like honed myself in on being really good at playing one way. Um, but I, I I think that it is important to say that the payout structure matters a lot in this instance. Um, so the, the payout, more top, you you benefit much more by top heavy payout structures than by flatter payout structures. So right, with my, so personally, like on a day to day basis, that that type of mentality works better for the 250 four max than the 121 right 121 you gain much less benefit but i play the 121 it's i'm i'm i may be playing contrarian stacks but a lot of times a lot of times i'm just eating both i'm eating like the if there's four good projected pitchers i'm it i'm playing two out of four of them and then i'm playing one i'm playing one of the top five stacks on the slate it's just i'm probably not playing the highest owned one of them like i'm it's when it's 5k to first and then 4k and then 3k like when you there's not as much benefit from like top 10 to top first which i like mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but it's also small field right right so it's like do, do i how how different do i need to be for a 334 person contest mm-hmm. right but the 250 a four max first place is 20,000 second place is 10,000 third place is like 5,000 like it goes it starts going down really dramatically yeah. that the the difference between coming in first and fifth is will will make will make your you know make your year type of yeah. type of things yeah right so that's why i could see what you're being used to but in a live final it is 
although it may be a million to first, it is a flatter payout structure. Yeah. So the the payout structure for the live final is a million to first, but then second is six hundred thousand, third is four hundred, fourth is three hundred, fifth is two hundred, and then sixth is one hundred fifty, and seventh and eighth are both one hundred thousand. It's super flat. Right. Like in terms of a million dollars to first, that is very, very, very flat. So I do not feel that my regular strategy will benefit me near as much as playing in a strategy that is more suited towards a payout structure that is that flat. So So you're you're much more likely to up in those type of payout structures, very similar to me in MMA with like, like, dude, I'm not aiming for uniques. I'm aiming for under fives. And if I happen to be duped two or three times, like I don't, I'm still plus EV in those spots because I'm still competing against a lot of bad lineups and also a lot of lineups that leave 3,000 on the table that their win probability is so low. So in the same case here, like you're kind of playing more for, I want to capture as much top 10 equity as possible, not as much top one, one top first place. Like you're sacrificing, it's like, yeah, if I stack against this and I leverage against that and I'm right, I win first place and it's quite possible I win first place by 40 points. Right. Right? Versus I'm going to play this other lineup where I have less first place equity than that lineup, but I still retain enough equity in second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, right? That I'm not coming in like dead last or first because the structure that the equity is spread out enough that it's worthwhile to do it. Yeah, I, I'm essentially ending for I, I'm essentially aiming for top twentieth percentile here. Like that's that's kind of my goal is I, I'd like to are have. Are you just settling, or you just play, or is it just like oh, it's a lot of money? I'm going to play it safe. I want the money. I think it's kind of both. Uh, I I think that because like for me and like having a child and he's moving into like being three years old, obviously a million dollars would be great, but. So would $30,000, right? Like that would bankroll my NFL season. And and that'd be really nice. Uh, And things like that, you know, I I think that it's important for me to think about those things in the life utility aspect as well. Um, That's not to say that I'm not going to build a lineup that I think has first place equity. Of course I am. I'm not going to play like cash game. But uh, the way that I have been playing it has been much more geared towards the finishing percentiles of somewhere between about 10th and 25th percent um and the way that i'm doing that is using the contest sims that that i've developed and actually creating so the the way that i usually would do it is i would aim for just using the projections that i build out and and trying to find some leverage that i want to take advantage of something that i think people are doing wrong or overvaluing or whatever and leveraging against that so now instead what i'm doing is i'm trying to build out what the field will be doing and then applying my projections against what the field is doing and finding out what the best decision from the field, the choices that the field is making and trying to key in on that instead. So basically what I end up on is the stacks that I am considering are going to be the popular stacks based on the aggregate projections from the industry. Uh, but I'm applying my own projections against them to see which one my models think is going to be the best of the choices that the field is going to make. So in all of that, the thing that I think matters the most here is that I have a good idea of what the live final field is going to do. And I think that I'll, I'll be able to do that pretty well. 
and project against that so that I can try to to make the best decision there. The, the only issue with that is that at a live final, chalk condenses a lot. Um, like there, there's going to be guys that are 60. There's going to be hitters that are like 60% out, I think. Um, you never White know Sox, what the slate's going to look like. You don't know. Well, no, but I know the White Sox are in cores. And uh, the White Sox are going to be cheap. And they'll probably send out to Manderson. I, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking too far ahead here, obviously. But I, I think that what, what we're going to end up seeing is that um, I'm going to try to play like the second best stack, the one or like the, the stack that is the second highest owned. And what's going to end up happening is the stack that is the highest owned is like 60% owned. And I'm still ultra contrarian. I'm playing first or last. No, no, I, no I think what more likely happens is that if it's the White Sox and cores, everyone goes, let's say it's the White Sox and cores, and then it's like, well, the Reds are against some, you know, garbage team or something. Like, there'll be some, whatever the second best stack is, becomes the highest owned stack because everyone's like, well, I'm just going to fade the White Sox and cores. And then it ends up being that the White Sox and cores is under owned. So here's here's what we've got, uh, what, what the slate is probably going to be, because it, it's usually the evening slate. And also there's uh, no late swap available. And there's no late swap, right. So we have uh, Tigers Guardians, we have Pirates Twins, we have Astros Mariners. I mean, we don't know the pitchers. So I mean, no, we don't. But but Mets Cardinals, uh, Braves Giants. So we do have the Braves that will be available. We have the White Sox and Coors. Uh, we have the Rays and the Angels. We have the Orioles facing the Athletics. And we have Diamondbacks, Padres, and Marlins Dodgers. So just based on that, it j- just thinking about those matchups, White Sox, Orioles, Braves, just off the top of my head, are going to be like three of the highest owned pieces. That's my guess. Um, and when it comes down to that, obviously we don't have pitcher confirmations or pricing or anything like that, but... <laughs> Thinking about the game theory of it, Braves are ultra expensive. So if people are going to go there, they're going to have to pay down at pitchers. So whatever pitcher is probably pitching for the Guardians against the Tigers or the Twins against the Pirates. It's so easy after like thinking through the entire season to just be like, people are going to use the Twins pitcher and the Guardians pitcher and stack the Braves or the White Sox. Or the Orioles pitcher against the A's. Or the Orioles pitcher against it'll right. be Kyle Bradish, right? Like right. Kyle Bradish is going to be like $800 Kyle Bradish or right. something, right? So, like, just knowing that those matchups exist on there, like, I can kind of already see where people are going to go on this slate. And and you know what ends up happening, James? If you would have just made the cash lineup, the cash lineup would have with, with no stack and no nothing, and that that that's the winner. I, I The way I this you. season is going, I wouldn't be shocked. No, I wouldn't either. There's going to be some rookie that has a historic season named – Dennis Schneider or whatever. Right, like the first first game, the first game, first major league game, he's eight million percent owned and goes like eighteen for for nineteen with seven home runs. Right, and I that Gunnar Henderson day, right, fifty percent owned, first at bat, gone. Yep. <laughs> like Just, really, I'm going to tilt my entire face off. It's going to be the worst. I'm glad the Reds are not on this slate though, because that would be. I have lost so much money on the Reds this year, man. Playing the Reds or fading the Reds? Yes. Both, right. <laughs> uh, Daniel Hutchins says that in MLB, it seems to me that 
SP1 ownership is often reasonably efficient, so it's probably okay EV-wise to just do whatever you prefer with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd mostly agree with that. Um, whenever I run through Sims, it's usually the, the SP1 on the slate is directionally correct, if not, like, right on the right on the nose. Um, and those are days that I prefer, honestly. I, I would prefer to be able to eat the chalk at SP. Like, if I, if I can eat chalk at SP1 and SP2 and be different with my bats, that's a slate that I like to play more than any other slate. Slates where I look at it and it's like, hey, you have to play this this 38% owned stack uh, and you're going to get a little bit different at SP2. I'm like, well, I'm just going to kill myself. Like, I, I don't want to deal with that, you know? Uh, that Those are the worst slates. I, I think the slates where I have to eat the chalk stack is way worse than where I get to eat the chalk pitchers. So uh, I'm hoping... It seems like that's the way it, it seems like the MLB season... It's been, it's been more like it's, it's it almost seems like the pitching variance has been higher than the hitting variance. I it's it's been so recently in the last couple of weeks, I would agree with that. We had the same conversation a month ago, or some right. somebody was like, the, the chalk has been doing really well this year, and I'm like, it hasn't. Like, I'm a testament to that. I'm way up this year because the chalk has not been doing as well as people think that it has. But the last couple of weeks, I'll 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 buy that. Last couple weeks for sure. I'm just hoping that it turns around in the next, you know, two weeks or whatever. I, I usually stop playing baseball this time of year because I don't like dealing with call ups and I don't like dealing with the weather and you know. Right, things September first, like once the forty man rosters or whatever, it's like I'm done. No, I don't want to deal with that, man. It's it's the worst. So and then you I, have all then twenty five out of the hundred dollar hitters are all over the place. Yeah, and, and like with no project with no baseline of any type of data to project anything and just and are do the teams even care anymore right the pitch, then you have the pitch counts are going to be much more variant right the teams that have nothing to play for is that is their best pitcher going to go 100 pitches maybe not we're even already seeing teams send it in man like the mets you can use any pitcher you want against the mets right now <laughs> they're not like they don't care at all those guys are just going out there like Lindor is swinging at everything. Pete Alonso doesn't have any power because his wrist still isn't healed up. Like, you can use anybody against the Mets right now because they're selling and they, they're like completely, the morale is just shot. It's just take shot. a look at some of these batting orders and it's like, wow. It's like, okay, I, one, two, three, four is okay. Then five to nine is like, who are these guys? Well, dude, uh, the creative players. Pittsburgh yesterday sent out a lineup without. Uh, without Andrew McCutcheon and without uh Brian Reynolds, and it was like I didn't know a single player on their roster outside of like Jack Sawinski, right? I didn't know any of them. Well, Hayes is back, right? Okay, yeah, Cabrian Hayes was back, that's right. right. So, Cabrian Hayes and Jack Sawinski, and uh, then a bunch of bunch of holograms, yeah, a bunch of guys with a 40% strikeout rate. <laughs> it's it's so bad and the rockies the the rockies have like one competent hitter one no two i guess nathan mckinnon and and edwin diaz are like good competent Einer, I, isn't it einer diaz is it einer diaz yeah i thought edwin diaz is a relief pitcher oh yeah yeah you're right uh it's a lot Whatever. of eda did to for, for project Dude, we're used to dealing with spreadsheets. We just see E. Diaz and <laughs> whatever the first. I don't know what the his actual first name is. Yeah, I, I don't even care. Uh, it's it's hard this time of year, man. It's really hard because this time of year, I think, is where I, I mean, one, the variance 
like we start seeing we we have this period where where the middle of like most of July, I think, is pretty predictable. We pretty much know like teams are on a roll. The weather is good. It's good hitting weather. Like we see, we see guys kind of do what we expect them to do. Sure, there's still variance, there's still volatility, but I think things make sense in July. And then we hit August, and you start seeing teams that don't have a chance to compete start mailing it in. And you see teams that are really trying to compete start holding their guys back a little bit. Then you see guys getting called up and like, it's the start of what is just the worst part of MLB, which is, I don't know who these guys are. And I don't know why this guy is priced this way. I remember last year I stopped playing baseball for about a month. Uh, probably end of July, I want to say. And the end of August, I'm like, I don't have anything to do. I'm going to play some baseball DFS. So I go in and I see that David Peralta is like $5,800 and I just close the app. <laughs> I was like, why is he 50? I, I'm not doing all this work to get caught up on why David Peralta is now almost $6,000 for the Diamondbacks. Like, it's insane. Things just stop making sense in August. Would you rather play MLB DFS or NFL preseason DFS? Oh, come on. MLB DFS. Preseasons. I'm not touching that. I think I think there's a lot of edge in preseason. I have this conversation every year. There is so much edge in preseason in the same way there is so much edge in WNBA. But I'm not doing the news aggregation. I'm not following beat reporters. I'm not looking at, I'm not trying to find depth charts from training schedules. Like I'm not doing these things, man. Somebody else and can then do even, it. Even if else. you do, it's not, it's, you see the thing with NFL preseason, it's not about like, oh, well, who's going to play and whatever. It's like, no one's going to play much. Everyone's going to play. It's just a matter of how long they will play. And again, it's like, is this guy going to play the first half or is he only going to play the third quarter? And that's the difference in your edge of like, oh, the, they may be rotating in three quarterbacks, but they may only do two. So it may be a half each, or it may be one guy that goes for like three quarters and the other two just close up. Like, like that's, those are the humongous edges in preseason if yeah. you get it right. But good luck figuring that out. And, th- and then God forbid you choose the one that plays three quarters and the one who plays one quarter throws two bombs to the starting wide receiver. Right. right. And then you're just dead in the water anyway. Like, I hate it. I hate news aggregation sports. Um, I think that that NBA is the well, is an NBA a news aggregation sport? No, because you can project really, really well with NBA, right? Like we we have really strong baselines and we have consistent modeling for NBA. Like yeah, but but it's still news aggregation as far as like twenty minutes before lock. This guy's out. This guy's yeah. in. That guy's. It's still sure. news. And there's there's a reason why I hate NBA. Okay. <laughs> That's mostly why, right? But like at least but not a new follow. a news aggregation sport when it comes to even projecting the players in the first place. Right. Yeah. Like I we know like, if Giannis is in, this is how the Bucks play. Right. Like, if he's out, I could take this out and whatever. And we'll know that beforehand. But in NFL preseason, it's like, I don't know how these guys play to I, what I boom. I mean, take college Huggy football, Mojo. man. Like college football DFS, you you can DM a dude's roommate to see if he's playing that day, and that's better info than you get from some beat writers. And also in college football DFS, you sometimes get to where like if this guy should be should play and 
he's going to be like 32% owned. And then he literally doesn't, st- he, he literally, you, you turn on the television and he's in street clothes. Yeah. It's, it's gross. I, I hate news aggregation sports and I acknowledge like there are some people that absolutely crush news aggregation sports, right? Like John Proctor is one guy who has been like a preseason goat for a long time. He does really, really well when it comes to preseason. Um, Galen Dragic over at uh, Daily Roto. I don't know if he still works for Daily Roto, but he was so good at WNBA because he was really good at the news aggregation for it. And like, if you dedicate to it, there's a lot of edge in those sports. It's just not my jam. I, I just hate it. I, I don't like the, I don't like digging for that stuff. It's not my forte. It's not what I like doing. There are edges everywhere, right? Right. You don't have to take all of them. Right. Right. You take the ones that you want that you, you that suit your strengths and your combination of upside versus, versus risk. Right. That's the way it is. That's why I'm good at baseball. Like the MLB DFS is my bread and butter because it fits the way that I play. NBA is not because NBA is not is not how I I like to play. But that being said, this new strategy that I have for live final is going to translate really well over to NBA anyway. So um, I, I'm excited to to test that out. From what I've seen, I mean, obviously limited sample here, but uh, instead of like the very barbell effect of my finishing places, I have a much more consistent step ladder up towards that 20th, right. 30th, 10th percentile, and. Right. Um, while, while I don't think that I would have, clearly I wouldn't have the same win equity in large field. In, in small field, I think that it's probably still fair um, to do that, especially in NBA where things are so much more linear. Can we talk a lot about this, the concepts behind this and the theory of daily fantasy sports and the, and the, the advanced players guide with the, the custom Excel tools. You can pick that up at theoryofdfs.com. Uh, James, people can find you at, Paydirt underscore DFS. Yep. Paydirt underscore DFS. Uh, and you can find all of my modeling over at paydirtdfs.com. Um, obviously, we'll have NFL things up here pretty soon. Even preseason? No. <laughs> you're just like, no. You're just like, I'm not doing preseason projections. End of story. No. People ask me, they're like, hey, uh, are you going to like put this up? I'm like, nope, not. You can go to ETR, man. Like, I, I don't care. You can go wherever you want to go. Not, come, not getting it here. Yeah, we can go to Roto Grinders. We got preseason stuff. Click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. Uh, obviously, hit the thumbs up button. Give me the thummy thumbs on your way out the door. I'll be on uh, tomorrow. Send in your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. Uh, we're going to do a, a lot of like transitioning into NFL. Like, talk of like, do a primer this month about, okay, we're getting back in the NFL. Let's start talking about these concepts. When it comes when it comes to that kind of you know work our way back up to speed. So if you got any NFL questions, NFL DFS stuff, email them in questions at theoryofdfs.com and uh and I'll answer them. That's what I do here Monday through Friday, eleven o'clock Eastern, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.